Well, good morning. For those of you that, uh, that I don't know, my name's BJ. I uh, pastor the Lake Nona campus of, of our church, and uh, we're very excited to join you all this morning as we've just come off celebrating Christmas and heading into the new year. Uh, I don't know how many of you are, are New Year's resolution people. I, I sometimes like to make them, uh, and uh, sometimes not, because I'm not always really good at keeping up those New Year's resolutions. But uh, one of the things I thought we would do this morning, as we, as we think about the upcoming year, as we think about the theme of generosity that, that uh, we believe God is calling us to, uh, we've looked at you know, financial generosity uh, over this first semester. And this upcoming year, we're going to be looking at generosity with our time and talents and the ways God has called to use us. And uh, there's a text in, in the Gospel of John, John 13, where Jesus models service in a way that is kind of startling to us, but I think is, is a calling for us as Christians to uh, see the ways that he has called us to serve and also to embrace the service that he gives to us through his death and through his resurrection. So if, uh, if you want to turn in your Bibles, if you're using a pew Bible this morning, I believe it's page 1145, we're going to look at John 13, verses 1 through 17. This is God's holy and true word. Now, before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is complete, completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. We had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place. He said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Please join with me in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus, who is our Savior and who is a leader who uh, is not only our King, but, but served his disciples, giving us a model and an example for us to follow and understand. Father, I do pray that uh, you would guide our hearts by your Spirit and guide my words by your Spirit this morning as, uh, as I preach from your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. I, uh, when I was in college, used to be a lawn man. And so during the summer times, I was here in Florida, and I would do uh, lawn service for, uh, for this company. And I'll never forget, there was this huge church in Sarasota that we used to cut the grass at. 
And, and one week I was weed eating there, and I noticed as I was weed eating the parking lot that there was a sign uh, right next to the best parking spot in the entire lot. And that sign said, Pastor Parking Only. And as I, as I looked at the parking lot, I looked down the row, and like down, down a ways away was the, was the signs that said visitor parking. So the pastor got the best spot in the entire lot, and the visitors got the second best spots in the entire lot. Now, I, I don't know exactly what the meaning was behind that. Perhaps the congregation and wanting to honor their pastor had put that sign there. But something about it struck me a little funny as I looked at that, because I thought, it just seems really contrary to what Jesus modeled as leadership. This idea of serving those that he came to lead. It struck me, and, and I continually am struck by that, because I think uh, in life, that as our status increases, so in other words, as we, as we gain status or we, we kind of achieve different things, pride can sort of accompany that. And, and slowly but surely, as pride accompanies that, that increased status, we start to feel exempt from serving in certain ways. Let me give you an example of this. I mean, every position in life, I believe, has a degree of status. So, you know, when you think of status, you may think of like a CEO of a business, and there's a, a degree of status that goes with that. But there's also a degree of status that goes with being a grandmother or being an elder or a deacon or a pastor. And uh, as, as I preach through this text, you may be thinking that what I'm going to tell you today is that to have status is wrong. Well, I don't think that's actually correct. The, the Bible clearly shows that Jesus has the highest status of all. And so status in and of itself is not necessarily wrong. But the pride that can accompany it is where it can be dangerous. Give you an example of this. I, I remember uh, talking with an older gentleman once uh, in the church, and a very godly man, very humble man. But uh, he made this statement once. He said, "You know what? I've decided that at my age, I don't need to do evangelism anymore." He said, "I've done evangelism in the past. I, I've I've even seen people led to Christ, and so I've just decided that I I don't really need to do this anymore, and I'm going to let other people do evangelism." There was kind of this attitude of, "Well, my status has gotten me here. I've done that in the past, so now I'm exempt." I'm following what the Lord has commanded me to do. You know, this is true of Jesus' disciples too. While Jesus is their leader and he, uh, and he leads them and they all recognize that Jesus is king and they're going to have the second position in the kingdom, they kind of continually fight over what that second position will look like. In fact, in, in the book of Matthew, in Matthew 20, uh, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, have their mom come and ask Jesus if they can have the uh, uh, if they can sit on on Jesus's right and his left in the kingdom to come. Can you imagine that? You you have your mom go and ask Jesus if you can sit on his right and on his left, and then the other disciples get furious about it because they're arguing about which one of them will be the greatest. They wanted to have status, and they thought that that would possibly exempt them from service. But I believe that uh, Jesus leads as a servant. And because we share in his life, the, uh, and because the Christian life shares in the life of Jesus, we are called to embrace Jesus' service as well. That is the Christian calling, to embrace Jesus' service. Look with me at the text in verses 4 through 5. The text says that Jesus rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. 
You know, uh, to wash feet at this time period was a very demeaning task. Uh, when you think about it, okay, so people walked pretty much everywhere. They would wear sandals, and their feet would get filthy and dirty. And, and actually, uh, most of the time, if you were a Jew, and let's say you had a Jewish servant that worked in your house, you would never require that Jewish servant to wash anyone's feet because it was too filthy. It was too demeaning. So actually, the only ones that were considered acceptable to act in serving by washing feet was if you were a Jew and you had a Gentile servant that lived there, somebody who wasn't Jewish. And even then, it was a very degrading task, something very low. And when Jesus takes off his outer garment and ties a towel around his waist, he's dressing like a menial slave in antiquity. I I was trying to think about, you know, how do we relate to this today? What if, if you were to think about Jesus, let's say if Jesus came here to our church and suddenly he, he gets out the, uh, you know, the cart and starts cleaning the toilets in the bathrooms, that would probably shock our systems. Like, Jesus, what are you doing? You're, you're the king. You're the master. Why would you do such a task like that? It assaults the disciples' views of status. And, and Peter boldly uh, speaks up about it. Look what he says to Jesus in verse 6. He says, uh, or the text says, He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. On one hand, it seems honorable what Peter's doing. I mean, what Peter's saying to Jesus is, Jesus, you have a status that's higher than mine. Remember, Peter's the one who confessed, Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And so as he watches Jesus do this, he thinks, you shouldn't do that to me. I'm, I'm lower than you on the status pole. But part of the problem with that is, is Peter's view of status, is that status exempts you from service. How does Jesus answer him? What does he say? Again, in verse 8, Jesus says, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. What does it mean to have a share with Jesus? Well, it means to participate in the life that he gives. And, and that's what we believe the Christian life is. It's, it's having share in the life of Jesus. When we believe in him by faith, by his spirit, we are connected in union with Christ and we have share with him. But what Jesus is saying to Peter here is if you do not accept the service I give, then you cannot have share with me. This is the first part of how I believe the gospel calls us to embrace the service of Jesus is first of all, we must accept the service of Jesus on our behalf, even when it assaults our views of status. Accepting Jesus' service assaults our pride and self-sufficiency. And and really the Christian gospel is this, is that all of us have sinned and broken God's laws. We've done things that violate uh, the way we were created to live. We've broken the Ten Commandments. And and God, who is perfectly holy and righteous and just, cannot be in relationship with us because we would be consumed by his holiness in our sinfulness. And so the only way that we can possibly be in relationship with God is through faith in Jesus, who takes those sins on himself on the cross, dying for our sins and raising to new life, so that through faith, his righteousness is credited to us and our sins were credited to him and punished on the cross. And so Jesus here insisting that uh, Peter must accept his service is a picture of ultimately the cross, which Peter doesn't understand yet, 
But he will come to understand it later. And so uh, as, as we look at this, you know, the idea that, that uh, foot washing is, is sort of this picture of cleansing, this picture of being washed. And Jesus is saying, the only way you can have share with me is if you accept my washing of you. Some uh, times uh, in the church, this has been debated, is, is Jesus in, instituting a new sacrament, something that we need to practice kind of like we do the Lord's Supper or baptism. Well, the New Testament doesn't indicate that. We don't see that happening in the early church. There's a brief mention of possibly foot washing in 1 Timothy 5, but it doesn't seem to be a practice that the whole church participated in like we see baptism and also the Lord's Supper in the New Testament. But I believe what Jesus is is doing here is he's modeling the act of service and the way that we lead in that service. And we all are called to accept the service of Jesus because of the fact that we cannot clean ourselves. My wife, uh, Andrea, uh, has red hair. And um, there's a picture of her when she was about two years old. And it, it's, it's the picture I call the spaghetti picture. Probably some of you with, with little kids have the spaghetti picture. The first time your child eats spaghetti. And my wife, Andrea, had just like got sauce all over her. And you can't even tell where her red hair stops and the sauce begins. And, and the picture is funny because, I mean, it's all down the high chair. I think there's even splatters of sauce on the walls around her. And, uh, and it's just kind of a hilarious picture. And she's probably about two years old when this was taken. Now, imagine that her mom says to Andrea, okay, you've made a total mess here. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to go to the sink. You're going to get the soap out. You're going to clean yourself up thoroughly. You're going to take those clothes off and you're going to do them in the laundry and make sure that's taken care of. And, and also you've gotten sauce on the walls. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to scrub the walls and then you're going to repaint them as well. And so go out and get the paintbrush and all the supplies and, and get this taken care of. Well, no parent would do that with a two-year-old. They can't possibly clean themselves up. So who does it for them? Mom and dad do. Mom and dad do. That's how we embrace the service of Jesus, is recognizing first and foremost that, yes, you know what, in our sins, we have violated God's covenants. We've, we've messed ourselves up. And there's only one person who can do anything about that. And that's Jesus. That's Jesus. And he calls us to accept his service to us. In verses 9 and 10, Jesus goes on with Simon Peter after he's told him that he must wash him. So Simon responds this way. He says, well, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And and it sounds kind of good. I mean, what Peter's saying is, okay, Jesus, I'll embrace your service. Now I need you to wash everything, my head and my hands. And how does Jesus answer him? He says, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. Isn't it kind of strange that as Peter says, just wash my hand and my head. Jesus kind of says, no, I don't need to do that. I mean, wouldn't we be a little more comfortable if Jesus had said, okay, yes. But Jesus says, actually, no, he uses foot washing and says, you are clean, but not every one of you. What is he trying to teach the disciples there? Well, I believe what he's teaching them is, is that, you know, through his cleansing, which will be offered on the cross, they are completely clean. But as they go through life, they will continue to sin. And as they do, just like we did this morning, as we confessed our sins together as the church, we are called to confess our sins before Christ. But we're also to recognize that he has cleansed us. We don't need to add anything to the cleansing 
that he offers. And here's where that's hard for us. Because again, we, we like the idea that we could do it ourselves. And so when we, when we look to Jesus, we're saying, okay, Jesus, I have to trust that you actually have made me perfectly clean. And when I confess my sins, I, I have to trust that, that as I've believed the gospel, there's nothing I have to add to it. It's all on you, Jesus. To be in relationship with God is to accept Jesus' service to us by faith. That is the only way that our sins can be forgiven and that we can be clean and in relationship with God. And so if you're here this morning and, and you think about yourself and you think, well, I, you know, I'm not sure that I've ever embraced Jesus' service. I'm not sure that I believe that he is God's son, that he died for my sins. I would encourage you today to humble yourselves and accept the service of the Lord Jesus who loves you and gave himself for you. For the rest of us, as, as, as uh, we are you know, believers and we accept the truth that Jesus has cleansed us of our sins, I want you to remember that he has also put the body of Christ around you to serve you. So and here's, here's what I mean by that. So you know, as you go through life, some of us will find that, that we have trouble uh, in certain areas. So maybe, maybe you're struggling financially right now. And you say, you know, I could really use some help and some coaching. And it's kind of humbling to admit that. But as you're tied into the body of Christ, there are those around you that may be able to help you. Be willing to say, you know what, I could use some help. Maybe in your, in your marriage, you're struggling as a couple right now. And you say, you know, um, I, I don't really want to acknowledge that, that we don't have it perfect or all together. You know what, none of us do. But the body of Christ is here. We, we need to be accepting of the service of the body of Christ as well as part of our embracing the service of Jesus. Jesus' foot washing teaches us about his cleansing, but it also gives us an example to follow. So first, we embrace service by accepting the service of Jesus. But secondly, we are called to serve others as Jesus has graciously served us. Look with me at verses 15 through 17. Jesus says, after having washed the disciples' feet, for I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So we are called to serve others as Jesus has graciously served us. And well, what motivates us to do that? I mean, certainly as I, as I say this to you, you might have feelings of guilt, okay? Okay, yes, I guess I'm supposed to serve because Jesus has served me. And so, so I could be motivated by guilt and go out and do this. But, but actually, I think our motivation needs to be different. And Jesus, as he gives us this example, shows us what motivates us to be servants. Look with me at verse 1. The text says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus is um, showing his love for his disciples. And, and the scripture's teaching that what motivates him to, to do this is that he's showing love to those that he serves. I, uh, I would venture to say, those of you that are parents, and, and I'm not a parent, so you know I, I'm guessing on this, but those of you that are parents serve all the time in ways that you would never have imagined. I, I don't imagine that many of you had children because you go, well, this is going to help my financial situation a lot. You, you, you had children and you spend lots of money on them. You put them through school. You pay for their doctor's bills. You feed them. You clean up their messes. You do these things, not because of what you gain, but why? 
because you love them. You love them. It, it, it's, it's almost a no-brainer. You, you do this because you love them and you want to uh, help them. When, uh, when I was in seminary, my, my wife and I, shortly after we got married, were part of a, a Bible study at our church that was for young married couples. And uh, we got to know some of the couples in there pretty well. And, uh, but there was one couple that came in sort of at the end of uh, one of the years that we were there. I think it was in May. And their names were Chris and Sarah. And Andrea and I kind of, you know, met them briefly, but we really didn't get to know them all that well. Um, but, uh, but he had just graduated from school, and then they were getting ready to move. And uh, one day I got an email from the group saying, hey, uh, Chris and Sarah are moving. Would any of you be available to help them on Friday to pack their boxes and, and move out? And uh, if there's one thing that I don't like doing, it is moving. I don't like to move myself. I, I don't really enjoy moving anyone. It's not something that I enjoy a whole lot. And so, you know, when I got that email, um, I looked at it and thought, you know, I'm going to just sort of pretend like I didn't see it. Have you ever done that before where those emails come in that you don't really want to respond to? And, uh, and unfortunately, I, I did not. I, I didn't go and help, even though actually that Friday I had time. Um, I, I could have gone and helped them out. But I felt like I didn't know them all that well. So I didn't go and help them move. But later on that summer, I had some friends that were moving into the St. Louis area named Jason and Colleen. And uh, Jason was actually in my wedding. He's a, he's a dear friend. And, uh, and I've known he and his wife for a number of years now. We were discipled by, uh, by the same pastor. And uh, Jason called me up and said, hey, I'm moving into St. Louis this Friday. Can you help me unpack? And I was there like that because I loved him. But Jesus calls us to serve. And, and you know, one of the things that it clicked with me afterwards is that, you know, service is motivated by love. And Jesus says in Matthew 25, verses 35 through 40, he's talking about, you know, when the judgment comes and when uh, the, those that believed in him will be put on his right and those that did not on his left. And Jesus says he will say to the, those that believed in him, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty or give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. What uh, that passage is teaching us is that even when we do it for those that maybe we don't feel like we love, we're actually acting in love towards the Lord and Savior Jesus who has so graciously loved us. You know, I didn't realize when I got that email from Chris and Sarah that Jesus was basically saying to me, hey, I'm moving, can you help me move? Now, I know as I say that, I can feel a little overwhelming. I mean, there's opportunities everywhere we look and, and there's opportunities to serve. Jesus could be calling us from any different direction. So how do we not just destroy ourselves by trying to serve in every particular situation that makes itself available. Well, you know, part of how we do that is we, we look at the ways that the Lord has, has gifted us. What are some of the things that I can do to serve others by serving my Lord? And, uh, and as we do that, uh, we are equipped to do that. We, we look at, you know, where, what time do I have available that I can serve? And, and uh, you know, like in that particular situation with Chris and Sarah, I was available that Friday. It was an opportunity for me to serve my Lord and my Savior. But the thing is, we won't be motivated to do this out of guilt. What motivates us to do this is when we look at the Lord 
himself, Jesus, who came, gave himself for our sins and served us as an example that we might serve others. We're called to serve as Jesus served, motivated by love for him. But everyone, really? I mean, what about those that don't deserve service? There are some that, you know, will take advantage of it. I mean, are we really supposed to just serve everyone and and to serve our community? What about those that really don't deserve it? Well, as you look at who is in this room as Jesus washes feet, look with me at verses 2 and 4, 2 through 4. text says, During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Judas is there in that room. And what the text tells us is that he's under the influence of Satan. He is scheming and preparing to commit treachery against the Son of God. And Jesus washes his feet too. You know, it's amazing too, the text tells us here that God had put all things in Jesus' hands. Jesus could have, in that moment, looked at Judas and said, you're done, and that would have been the end of him. In fact, if all things are in Jesus' hands, he has all authority and all status and all power. He could have, as king, marched into downtown Jerusalem and said to the Romans and everyone, "Um, I am now king and you are powerless to do anything about it. And no one could have stopped him. And Jesus, in that moment, knowing full well that he had all things in his hands from God, takes a towel around his waist and washes his disciples' feet. And even a treacherous traitor that is in his midst. Now, understand, too, that as Jesus washes Judas's feet, it's not that Judas was being cleansed of his sins. This is a picture of ultimately Jesus' work. But Judas had decided to follow Satan's influence and to be treacherous against him. So Jesus, as he gives us this this example, is calling us to serve like he does, despite the status of those that we serve. The disciples and all of us will never have the status of Jesus, but we will have roles of leadership. We will have roles of status, and Jesus, Jesus models for us how to handle it. It says in verses 12 through 14, When he had washed their feet and put his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Jesus says he is teacher and he is Lord. Lord is is this picture of him being the king, the master, he of highest status. And he serves them. As a servant, he says, and if I, your teacher and your Lord, and you call me that and you're right to do so because that's who I am, have served you, so you also ought to serve one another. One of the things I have enjoyed about uh, working here at UPC, there's, there's many, many things, but um, uh, this last year, as, uh, as Mike Osborne has kind of developed the flock structure that, that we work with here in terms of uh, how we... Uh, um, 
uh, care and shepherd uh, the flock here at UPC in both Lake Nona and Orlando. When he when he uh, did the design of it, it was really cool, and it has has all of the pastors' names on top, and the elders, and and the deacons, and and it kind of goes down to the life groups. And I'll never forget when Matt Ryman saw it. He says, "This is really great. I love it." But he says, "You know what? I think we need to do is I think we need to invert the whole picture. I think the pastors need to be at the bottom." And then the life groups at the top. Because he says that's really the picture of how Jesus has called us to lead. Is to be the servants. I think he's right. I think he's right. I think that's what Jesus models. And you know Jesus being the servant here doesn't mean that he's not the leader. It doesn't mean that he's not still in charge. But he, he models leadership in a way that, that's startling. And is actually life changing. And he calls us to serve as he serves in response to he who has the highest status of all. I want you to think about the impact this can have as we think about the time and talents God has given us and what could happen if we are to use those and serve out of response for the great service that Jesus has given us. I have a friend who was Muslim, went to school actually not too far away here at UCF. And while he was there, he had traveled here from Saudi Arabia and he and his wife were having trouble. And his wife was still living in Saudi Arabia, and, and he was living here on his own as a student at UCF. And he got to know this group of Christians. And uh, they just began to become friends with him, and they would invite him over to their house for dinner. And he thought that was a little odd, but he, uh, he began going to some, some of these Christians' house for dinner, and, and they began to just sort of build a relationship with him. And from time to time, they would show up at his house, and they would bring him food and, and other things. And, you know, if he needed some gas money or something, they would help him out with that. And as he built this relationship uh, with them, uh, he began to talk about the problems that he was having in his marriage. And, and these Christians said to him, would, would you mind if we started to pray for you in your marriage? And it sort of shocked him. He thought, who, who are you people? Why would you pray for me? Why would you pray to your God that, that he would help me in my marriage? And, and little by little, as they continued to serve him and love him graciously, uh, some of the walls started to come down and, and they actually invited him to church. And he went. And, uh, and he began to hear of Jesus, the one who had the highest status of all, God himself, who became a human being, to die for his sins and to be raised to new life so that he could live. And and that love and that service shocked his system so much that he humbled himself and he accepted Christ as his savior. And now, my friend, you you can't get him to stop talking about the good news of the gospel. It changed his life forever. As we think on Jesus' service for us, And as we accept uh, his service and serve as he serves, imagine the impact that can happen right here in our communities, in Orlando and Lake Nona, when we model the great gospel that our God has given us through Jesus, our Savior. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, your work is, is more than we can understand or even imagine. Father, you are the saving God. You are the righteous God. You have the highest status of all. And Lord, you came and modeled for us what it means to serve out of love. Lord, we thank you for, uh, for saving us by the grace that uh, you have for us, Lord, through your death on the cross, through your resurrection and victory. And I pray, Lord, that as we see how much you have done on our behalf, 
that we would embrace your service knowing that you have washed us and completely cleansed us, but also, Lord, that we might serve as you have served us and proclaim and demonstrate this great gospel that we've received. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.